Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I am so glad that you've taken time out of your day uh, to spend here in the house of the Lord. And I just want to share some thoughts that I have with you today, and I pray that uh, the Lord would speak to all of us. And... Um, I, it's been a while since I've been together with a, a lot of you, and I, I just want to reiterate what I said on Wednesday. I certainly miss you so much. Um, but there's some medical things that I'm dealing with, just as many of you are, and uh, we're just going to make it through this, and we're going to praise God, and we're going to enjoy the spoil of it when it's all said and done. But I'd like to start this morning by turning to a scripture in Matthew, the eighth chapter. We're going to be talking about a story that's recorded in two of the Gospels, one in Matthew and another in Mark. But I want to take just one scripture from the Gospel of Matthew before I read the whole account in the Gospel of Mark. I'm in Matthew 8, verse 18. And if I can sort of paint a portrait here, If you can, in your minds, try to imagine Jesus completely surrounded by people. He's, they're probably sitting, he's standing, and he's teaching them. And then all of a sudden, things change, and Jesus starts to remove himself from this picture. In verse 15, it says, when Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the sea. Now, I, I want to tell you that the disciples have been with Christ for quite some time. We know that his ministry was three to three and a half years. They've eaten together. They've traveled together. And uh, spent much time together extensively with people. They've watched his popularity grow. And also with his popularity, there was a segment that, that did not favor him at all. And he was beginning to be hated by some and loved by others. But on this particular day, the the crowds have gathered around him. But even though the disciples had spent so much time with him, there was so little they knew about him. They couldn't really comprehend the commitment of his character. They couldn't dig deep enough into the depths of his love. They couldn't understand how Jesus could leave a large gathering of followers, leave them and get into a boat and cross to the other side of the sea to visit one man that's not even Jewish, that's demon-possessed. It doesn't make sense. Why would you leave a revival, so to speak, to go someplace where there was just one and one that's not even of your faith? But in Gadara, there was one man, he was a desperate soul. Bible says he was demon-possessed. People tried to help him, they tried to tame him, but none could help this individual. And at night, you could hear the cry of one desperate man as he roamed around the tombs. But I do believe that no matter where a person is, 
that God's ear is attentive to the cry of a hungry heart. Regardless of the per- if the person is good or bad, or where they come from, there's something that attracts God's attention, just like the scent of a rabbit would a beagle. It draws his attention. Now, the Bible tells me that the Lord is nigh unto all those who call upon him. And that's an important verse to remember. Because there's going to be times in your life when you're going to need him nearby. You're going to need him to intercede on your behalf. Technically, the longer we know the Lord, the more we realize that we can't live a moment without him. Every breath that we breathe, every beat of our heart, every, every moment of the day, we depend on him to guide us and lead us and, and uphold us. But for this individual, life was a nightmare he lived every day. Now, the Bible doesn't say how he ended up in this condition, only that he was in that condition. Let's read about it in Mark, the fifth chapter. I'm going to be starting with verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on a nearby, nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his own right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. 
I want to point out a couple things in the geography of this lesson here. Uh, you might not know what the Decapolis is. Uh, the Decapolis was a group of ten cities on the eastern frontier of the Roman Empire. And uh, when we look at the name of the city or the place that Jesus arrived, it was called Geressa or Gadara. And this city that he arrived on was on the east side of Galilee uh, near the river Jordan. Now, these cities were both full of Gentiles. They were not Jewish. You can, you can understand that by the amount of pigs that were there. So this man that we're talking about again was not of Jewish heritage. Now, for me to understand and for you to understand the, the, the depth of the torment that was living inside this man. Now, the Bible talks about that those that lived in him were called legion. Now, when, G, when the, the demon-possessed man ran to Christ, I believe it was the man himself that was running to the Messiah. I do not believe the demons ran to Jesus. I believe the man was given the ability by God to find his way to the feet of Jesus. And it, it sort of emphasizes to me that for a hungry heart, nothing can hold them back. There's no powers in hell. There's no gates too strong or walls too tall that can keep you if you desire from reaching Christ. Now, when he asked their name, they said, our name is Legion. Well, if you go back and you look on, on Google, which I know some of you do that right while we're doing service. That's why I have to be so careful what I say. Um, you'll find that a legion was between four to 6,000 individuals. Uh, most references that I see make it about 6,000. Now, it's hard to fathom the extent of the bubbling turmoil inside this man's heart. Now, look at his background. He's been separated from the life he once knew. He's been separated, no doubt, from his family. But most of all, he is separated from God. And like I said earlier, there's been those that tried to bind him and they, they tried to help him and they chained him and they put shackles on his feet. But nothing could hold him. The evil was so strong. So I guess to put it simply, sometimes you just need a miracle. You need a visitation from the Almighty. Sometimes you just have to get desperate. And this man was desperate for help. I dare say that this man maybe not even, may not even have known of Jesus. Remember, he wasn't of Jewish heritage. He was a Gentile. He may never even have heard of the name, but there was something that came ashore that attracted his attention and I can't help but spirit discern spirit that when Jesus arrived on the shore, there was something in the heart and the spirit of this demonic man that recognized divinity. I don't know about you, 
But have you ever walked into church and all of a sudden you get a, a tingle from the top of your, the back of your neck all the way to your feet and you, you feel that there's something special in this place? And I think that was that type of a feeling. But I want to point out something to you tonight. Some of you that might be living amidst the tombs and you're, you're bound by your previous actions and you're restricted with the chains of torment and unbelief and doubt and fear. I want to tell you that God can deliver you from that situation and God will always make himself available to those that cry out to him with an honest and a sincere heart. You know what brought Christ away from the crowd and caused him to get into a boat and cross the Sea of Galilee? It was his compassion. It was the love of God in Christ that drew him to a place, to a man that was not even a people of God. He was not part of Israel. But one hungry heart was enough to get his attention and draw him away from the multitude to a place that was distinctly separate from Israel. (laughs) Can you, in your mind's eye right now, can you see this crazed man with probably no clothes on at all? See, that's one of the things Satan likes to do. The farther away you get from God and the closer you get to Satan, the more clothes you take off. But the closer you get to God and to holiness, the more clothes you put on. And that's really quite evident in the generation that we're living in. But can you see this crazed man running through the tombs with his hands outstretched, running towards the seashore, determined to get to the master? And I can almost, if I could see the spiritual uh, actions that are taking place inside of this, this, uh, this demon oppressed man, the spirits that are trying to resist approaching the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He had never met Jesus before, but there was something about that man. There was something about his presence that attracted him to where he was. And again, I'll tell you this morning, nothing can hold you back from reaching Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So again, at this point in your life, maybe you feel like the man of Gadara. But rest assured, when you're desperate for a miracle, look to the east, you'll see a light coming out to meet you and heading in your direction. For Christ is drawn to the desperate. His his love will overrun you when you fall at his feet. I'm thinking as I say that about the picture in my mind of the prodigal son who was desperate. He found himself in a similar situation. He'd had everything and lost it. Now he was feeding the pigs in a land that wasn't the land of his father's. And when he decided to go back home and head back towards where he was once content, the father saw him afar off and he ran out to meet him. 
You know how heaven feels about those types of reunions? Luke 15 and 7 says this, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner, just one sinner, who repents over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's an interesting verse. I, I can't think of anybody that does not have something that they can repent of. When you start to look at the thoughts that we think and the actions that we perform, we, we seem to let God down daily, all of us, no matter how good we are. There are things that happen in our life that we should not do. So when this verse says that they do not need to repent, I wonder if Luke, when he wrote that verse about people that did not care to repent, they, don't, they were living in their own self-righteousness. And they never saw themselves in relationship to purity. They were comparing themselves to themselves. And when you compare dirt to dirt, you always get dirt. But when you compare yourself to God and you see the purity of his presence, the whiteness of his glory, the stains and the blemishes on your life stand out. Everyone needs to repent. But the crowds that Jesus had been ministering to were probably like that. They were apt to listen, but they were always the groups of people that said, I'm glad I'm not like that sinner. I'm glad I'm not like that lady over there. He can't really reach out to people that don't see their need. Let's look at another example of a Gentile who was desperate and made her way through all the spectators to where Jesus was. I'm reading from Matthew 15, verse 22 to verse 29. It says in verse 22, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering, suffering terribly. Now here we have a Canaanite. She's not of the heritage of Israel. And the first thing she does is she finds her way to where Christ is and the very first words that come out of her mouth are, have mercy on me. That's a good way to approach the throne of God, by the way. In verse 23 it says, Jesus did not answer her a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. Again, here's the word picture. Jesus hears her words, but does not immediately respond to her. The disciples, in turn, decide that she's not worth all the racket that she's causing. She's just making a distraction. She's detracting from what they want to see accomplished. They never see what's really happening in this picture. Jesus does, but they don't. He finally answers in verse 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Notice how she prostrates herself. Prostrates herself. Lord, help me. 
So the three words that come out of her mouth next are, Lord, help me. The first three words were, have mercy on me. Actually, four words. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That's what they called the Canaanites. They called them dogs. And she says, yes, it is, Lord. She, re- she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted and her daughter was healed at that moment. Now we talked on, on Wednesday night about how Naaman uh, received that, that healing for his leprosy. And uh, how another woman through Elisha was fed and taken care of during a famine and her son raised from the dead. That They were not part of Israel. And here again we have another instance of Jesus dealing with a Canaanite or someone that is, is a Gentile and turning his back on Israel. You know, he's looking for faith anywhere he can find it. It doesn't matter what your background. He's looking for someone that has a humble heart and a willing spirit that's willing to follow him. Like the man of Gadara, this story is dealing with a possessed person, the spirits living inside her daughter. That's got to be hard for a, a mother to watch her daughter go through these things, to lose control and go into fits and all sorts of things and, and know that you can't get rid of the problem. There's no way that you can deal with a spirit by yourself. And in like case, here the disciples try to send her away. The crowds were more important. We were more important about how we appeared and, and the number of people that were present than we were about the one that was hungry, the one that was desperate. You want to see a service really catch on fire? You want to see the Spirit of God move and cause a revival? Look for the person in your congregation that's desperate. Look for the one that's going through a struggle because when they cry out to God, God responds. We find in this particular story in Matthew 15 that Jesus was so tired and frustrated by the attitude of those that were in the crowds. He says in Matthew 15, verse 7, you hypocrites, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, The people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Do you see the word picture? They honor, they draw nigh unto him with their mouth, they honor him with their lips. In other words, they know how to say all the right things. They know all the Christian phrases and all the uh, verbiage that sounds so well, but inside, they're more concerned about things that aren't spiritual than they are. And then he says in verse 9, because of that, but in vain they do worship me, teaching, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus said, 
Are you also, in verse 16, he goes down to the disciples and he looks at them, his own followers. They've asked him a question that they have not been able to discern. And he says, are you also, yet without understanding? I can understand the crowds, Jesus is saying, but you've lived with me, you've walked with me. Do not you yet understand? I wonder if Jesus were to come to church during one of our services, and I believe he does every service. He's never late. He's always on time. But I wonder if he would someday stand up behind our pulpit and say, do you not yet understand why I've called you forth from the world? I think sometimes God gets tired of dealing with those people that are living in self-justification, whose attention is divided between his purposes and goals on earth and their own desires to build their own dominions, and they actually build walls that hinder what God is trying to do instead of opening up doors for people to pass to through into the will of God. But yet in Scripture, I see those many times outside the brotherhood more desperate for God's intervention than his own people. John seemed to say it best when we go back to John, the first chapter. Verse 11 said, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Do you see the distinction between those two verses? He came to his own, they didn't receive him. Then he went out and he gave power to whosoever would to become a child of God. If it doesn't happen in the place or in the household of God's family, he'll go outside the walls of the family and he'll build another house. Those which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, God was looking for the hungry, the desperate, and the willing. Those who should have embraced Christ led him to his death because Jesus refused to embrace their goals and rather focused on the purpose of redemption, the reason that he came. Look look at this lady here. Again, she's willing to humble herself. She didn't argue with the fact that others referred to her as a dog. See, her cause was greater than her pride. She was willing to walk through that valley of humility to achieve something that meant more to her than her own pride, and that was her daughter, her daughter's deliverance. And Jesus can't help but be moved by that type of determination. He actually gave her every reason she needed to storm away from that that visitation and go away. And she could have justified her decision by saying, well, he called me a dog. He wouldn't talk to me when I asked him. I prostrated myself and he didn't respond to me. But when she said, Lord, help me, 
She meant, Lord, I need your help. But even after all these words, Jesus gives her one last test. It's not right that we should give the children's meat unto dogs. And she looks into his face. And she says these words as she looks into his eyes. And she said, even the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You see, Lord, I, I know I'm undeserving. I'm not asking to eat off a plate like others of your children at the table. I'm willing, Lord, if you just let a couple crumbs fall. I'm willing to take just the crumbs. But Lord, help me. Lord, have mercy on me. You ever been so desperately hungry that you're just willing to take a crumb? And then Jesus stops and he turns around and he looks at her. And he looks into her eyes and he says, Woman, you have great faith. Your faith, your request is granted and her daughter was healed at that moment. There's, there are just two isolated instances for we find this happening again. And one of those is in Matthew, the eighth chapter. Jesus is now again, this is the third time that he's dealing with a Gentile. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came and pleaded with him, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible agony. Verse 7 says, I will go and heal him, Jesus replied. The centurion answered, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Notice the element of humility. But just say the word and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority and with soldiers under me. I tell one to go and he goes and another to come and he comes. I tell my servant to do something and he does it. <clears throat> When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Wow. This man didn't grow up in a, in a yeshiva, didn't go to a yeshiva. He wasn't going to synagogue. He was a Gentile. The Romans, the Romans worshipped many gods. But there was something about the nature of Christ. He recognized him as divinity, as one in authority. And I say that not just in a political sense. I say that in a spiritual sense. Because the miracle that the man needed wasn't political. It was a spiritual healing. So he recognized the authority of Christ's spiritual nature. Jesus goes on to say this to those Jews that were standing in front of him. I say to you that many will come from east and west to share the banquet, banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness where there were weeping and gnashing of teeth. I, I look at these scriptures. This is the second time we've seen something very similar where the Lord is 
is rebuking those that, that are his own, so to speak. And he's focusing on people that are not, saying in this particular case, these people, these Romans, these, these uh, Samaritans, these Gadarens that I, I've ministered to, they'll be coming in and sitting at the banquet table in heaven. And you who were it was reserved for, because you did not recognize the day of your visitation, you will be the ones that will be cast aside. And then again, let's go to John, the fourth chapter. This is another story of another uh, person that's half Jew and half Gentile. She's a Samaritan. Now in verse chapter 4, I believe this is verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must, I want you to look at these words here. He must needs go through Samaria. Now we know that no good Jew ever wanted to travel through Samaria. They would, they would go around that place. The, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Samaritans were Jews that had compromised their faith and married with Gentiles. They were despised. They were called dogs. But the Bible said he needed to go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour of the day. That would be a good trivia question. I wish I could, I could ask this question and see if anybody in this place knows the answer. What time is this? The sixth hour of the day. On our clock, what time would it be? Well, we know the third hour is 9 a.m., so the sixth hour is 12 p.m. No one ever comes to the well during the hottest part of the day. You would either come early in the morning or late, late in the afternoon when the sun is, is going down because it was a cooler part of the day to carry and draw the water. But Jesus came to this well because he knew that the only people that would ever come to the well at the worst time of the day were the people that were rejected and despised. And those are the type of people that he's looking for because they make the best saints. They make the best Christians because they know from whence they came. They realize that without intervention on God's part, they would have never achieved any level of success in their life. Do you realize that yourself? That without Christ's help, without God's intervention in his mercy, in this world you might build barns and you might fill those barns with crops, but really you're still spiritually bankrupt. Without God, you have no hope of eternity. And there cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water around 12 o'clock. The disciples, they went into town, they left. And you know why Jesus planned it that way? Because he didn't want 
his disciples, his followers, to interfere with what he was about to do. Because they'd have been offended that Jesus would have sat down and talked to a dog, to a Samaritan. Sometimes God has to get rid of us because we don't help him. We hinder him. So he sends us away so he can do what he does best. So they're gone and Jesus is doing what he does best. He asked her a question. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Verse 8 says, For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, answered and said to her, he doesn't answer a question, by the way, if you notice this. If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou would ask of him, and he would give, have given thee living water. What Jesus does with an unbeliever is he takes their attention away from their excuses for not acting properly, And he focuses that attention on who he is and what he can provide. If you only knew, young lady, who you were talking to, know you not that I can provide rivers of living water? That's basically what he's saying. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? This is, this is the curse of the human nature. Because we always try to analyze situations by physical reasoning. And how many times have I heard people say, if I can't see it, if I can't touch it, if I can't feel it, I'm not going to believe it. Well, that is the most ignorant thing that a person can say. Because there are dimensions that cannot be touched by our five senses. And he's saying, if you really knew who I was, and if you could really see what I have to offer, if you could take your eyes off this stone well and that bucket you're carrying and look to who I am, you wouldn't be asking for water from Jacob. This, I believe this is Jacob's well. You would be asking for the living water. That, that solves the spiritual thirst that you have. She doesn't like to be rebuked. And so she gets a little defensive. Your flesh sometimes rises up. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Really, lady? That's all you've got to say? Jesus answered and said unto her, now look at the patience that he has. In this case, sometimes he doesn't have this much patience. Sometimes he's more direct. He says, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be interested in that. I'd say, Lord, I'm going to sit down here. You've got to share with me this, this knowledge of this living water. You've got to let me know what you're talking about in more in depth. Now, the woman seems to have finally had the revelation. She finally got it. And in verse 28, the woman, uh, it says, the woman left her water pot and went into the cities and said to the men, come see a man which told me all the things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. She finally be able, was able to glimpse a little bit of his glory. She forgot all about the water pot. I've heard sermons on that topic, the forgotten water pot. You know what? When you finally meet Christ and you have that divine visitation and you walk into his presence and some of that glory gets on you and you feel his love and the unction of his power, the things that were important to you when you came are no longer important at all. Paul seemed to say it the best when he says, you know, the things that I used to love, I now hate. And the things that I hated, I now love. That's the forgotten water pot. Those things that you think are so valuable that you're holding on to that are keeping you from walking with God and fulfilling his purpose in your life are the very things when you really meet him, you'll leave behind and you'll never think twice about. And it says in verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed on of his own word and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. It's one thing to believe somebody's testimony. It's another thing to hear it and see it for yourself. And friend, unless you taste the honey yourself, you'll never know how truly sweet it is. And that's why the Bible says you taste and see that the Lord is good. Why don't you be the one that finds a way into that secret place where Christ is? And why don't you be the one that falls on your knees and say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, help me. Because those are the, that's the kind of terminology, that's the kind of humility that attracts a divine intervention in your life. We've got to stop trying to argue with God and give him all these types of, of reasons why we're upset. Just have faith in him and trust in his ability and his compassion and his love for you. We indeed know that he's a savior of the world. And sort of to, to close this morning, let me say this, you know, the revival that happened in Samaria in the book of Acts, it didn't start with Philip and them. It started right here. It started with a lady that was by a well 
in Samaria that Jesus needs go and see. Because when they came to Samaria, many of those people had already had a visitation by Christ himself. When we look at Paul as the apostle of the Gentiles, he wasn't the first one to reach out to the Gentiles. Jesus himself reached out to the Gentile in his ministry. For whosoever will, those are the ones that should come. And so today, maybe you feel like you're not worthy of of a visitation. Maybe you you don't feel like you're even a, a good Christian or even a Christian at all. Maybe you feel that you're so far separated amongst the tombs and, and those places of desolation that Christ would never, ever be interested in, in your life. How many times have I heard people say, if I walked in the church door, the, the place would fall down? That's a, that's a ridiculous statement. That's why the place was built. It was built for people to come in and to have a special place where they could meet with divinity. That's the purpose of this building. It's not just a gathering place. It's a place of of healing. It's a miraculous place where people can come and they they can call out for mercy and help and meet with someone that can actually change their situation. But woe, woe, woe unto us if we ever get to the place or we start to revel in our self-justification and we forget to look at those outside these walls that are desperate and we try to avoid them because they may disrupt our plans. For that's the reason that came, to Jesus came. He came to seek and to save the lost of whom many of us were chief. So I, I really want to stop there right now. I feel like I've said basically everything that I felt in my heart that I needed to say. But I do want to reiterate to you again how much God loves you. I'm not just saying that as a cliche, oh, Jesus loves you. He really does. And maybe you need to remember when you first found him where you were. I don't know what the percentages are, but if we were to talk to people in this congregation and other congregations, most of them were desperate when Jesus came to them. They were involved in drugs, all sorts of debauchery. Their lives were ruined in a sense. They had no place to go. And that's where they called forth on a name that was above every name for help. And Jesus brought him into the fold. And that's what we need to remember from whence we came because it'll help us to know where we're going. You can never figure out where you're going unless you look back from where you came to get direction on where you're going. So tonight or this morning, I want to just thank you for coming. I pray that the Lord guides and keeps you through this upcoming week. And I pray that the Lord lets his face shine upon you and give you peace. That's a good Lutheran saying. It's still a good one. All right, well, God bless you. You be good. We'll talk to you later. 
Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.